The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. As you may know, if you've been paying attention to the news for the last few days, votes are still being counted in the 2020 presidential election. And Joe Biden's lead over Donald Trump has now actually surpassed five million votes. And this is, I think, a really good time to add some context to these numbers, because depending on what historical context you prefer to add, the sort of takeaways from Joe Biden's current popular vote win would would be pretty dramatically different. So with Joe Biden at close to 77 million votes and Donald Trump at close to 72 million votes, the exact lead for Joe Biden as of moments ago was about 5.07 million votes. In other words, 5 million plus 70,000 votes. And when you look back at the history of presidential elections, this is not even close to the largest winning margin. If you're looking at some of the historical landslides, for example, if you look at Richard Nixon's historic 17 million vote margin in 1972, if you look at Ronald Reagan's in 84 by 16 million votes, um, LBJ and FDR won by 15 and 11 million votes, respectively, even Barack Obama won by more than 9 million votes in 2008. But needless to say, this is a healthy margin for Joe Biden. And all of the huge wins that I mentioned just now um, came with far larger electoral victories as well. And that's something not to be ignored. Now, a really interesting fact is that among the largest popular vote losses among candidates who won, in other words, popular vote lost, won the presidency electorally. Donald Trump's popular vote loss in 2016, which was, as you remember, by about three million votes to Hillary Clinton, is the largest uh, popular vote loss in history for a candidate who won the Electoral College. And it's followed by George W. Bush losing the popular vote by about half a million in the year 2000 to Al Gore and still winning electorally, as you remember, Florida, the decider in that particular election. For me, the most interesting perspective on the number so far is that Joe Biden has 50.8 percent of the vote right now. And when you look at challengers, which accounts for the power of incumbency, remember, Removing an incumbent president is really difficult, even an unpopular one. 2004 and George W. Bush's reelection is a strong reminder of that. Among presidential challengers to an incumbent, Joe Biden's 50.8 percent, which may still go up, is the highest vote share for a challenger to an incumbent president dating all the way back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1932, who got 57 percent of the vote as the challenger in 32. And in fact, it's higher at 50.8. Joe Biden's share of the vote is higher even than Ronald Reagan's, which was 50.7 in 1980. So needless to say, it's a very healthy win, popular vote. And yet it came down to a combined razor thin margin of, you know, we're waiting on the Georgia results. But as of right now, we're talking about 70,000 votes in Nevada and Pennsylvania, or you could put it a different way and say Joe Biden won thanks to 60,000 votes in Pennsylvania and Arizona, depending on what you consider the winning states for Joe Biden. So what can we say more generally? We can say that Donald Trump's two elections taken together are remarkable. 
Trump lost the popular vote twice, is one of only 10 incumbents to lose reelection and one of only three presidents to be impeached. And if you sort of make a Venn diagram of this, which people have done and have shared on social media, if you take this together, Donald Trump is the only president to lose the popular vote twice, be removed after one term and be impeached. So that's quite a resume for him. Now, is there a bigger story than just trivia? There is, but it really depends on your perspective. So on the one hand, how did Joe Biden manage to almost lose the Electoral College in the middle of the worst president in the modern era's globally embarrassing handling of a hundred year pandemic? Joe Biden almost didn't win. That's not good. On the other hand, even with Republican voter suppression, Republican voter purges, Trump's election disinformation, attempted sabotage of the Postal Service, even with all of that, Joe Biden still won by more than five million votes and may end up with the exact number of electoral votes, 306, as Donald Trump had in 2016, depending on what ultimately happens in Georgia. My view is both of these things are true. We, we, we have to be able who what what right wing um, pseudo intellectual said um, reality of the world is messy or something like that. We can hold both ideas at the same time. We have to take the wins where we got them, which is that Joe Biden won period. And we have to now improve going forward. We have to pour everything we have into the two Senate runoff races in Georgia, which we will be talking about quite a bit tomorrow and realize that it was close when it came down to not the five million votes, but the under 100,000 votes that the winning states ended up depending on. This is really great. Joe Biden is immediately handling the pandemic and all of these different things. Donald Trump is in court trying to get rid of Obamacare. And yesterday, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris held a press conference and they said we, we should not be ending Obamacare at this point in time. Now, before we even get to any clips, it was sort of jarring to see Joe and Kamala go a half hour without insulting anybody. And when they took questions, Joe Biden actually answered the questions. It was a nice change of pace. I've just become completely unaccustomed to it over the last four years. Now, when Joe Biden was asked questions, it's crazy that this is even noteworthy. He would listen to the question, pause to think about an answer and then actually answer the question. Mind blown, right? Incredible. And as you can imagine, most of the questions Joe Biden was asked were about the fact that Trump continues to claim he won and that Biden didn't win and Trump hasn't conceded. And Joe Biden played it really well. Here he is answering and laughing Trump off. And I'll tell you about the importance of that in a moment. Presumably at some point you will need access to more classified information, secure facilities and the like. What options are you considering? How will you uh, move ahead if the president continues to refuse to concede? Well, look, uh Access to classified information is uh, is useful, uh, but I'm not in a position to make any decisions on those issues anyway. There's one, as I said, one president at a time, and he will be president until January 20th. It would be nice to have it, but it's not critical. And uh, that's uh, we're just going to proceed the way we have. We're going to we're going to do exactly what we'd be doing if he had conceded and said we've won, which we have. Uh, and so there's nothing really changing, but not ruling out legal action. No, I, I don't see a need for legal action. 
uh, quite frankly. I think the legal action is, uh, you're seeing it uh, play out, the actions he's taking. Uh, and so far, there is no evidence of any of the assertions made by the President or Secretary of State Pompeo. <laughs> Secretary of State Pompeo. So the calm is commendable and the laugh at the end is just perfect as far as optics go. But what is really interesting to understand is that as the narcissistic egomaniac that is Donald Trump, narcissistic egomaniacs want other people to be mad and they want other people to be afraid. We've talked to all sorts of different psychologists and others on the program over the last four years. And they have explained, and this is widely written about in literature, um, in psychology literature, that narcissists and, and these sort of egomaniacs like Donald Trump, they control situations by getting the other person angry, by getting the other person rattled. And so Joe Biden just laughing it off and moving full steam ahead with the transition and a coronavirus task force and the some of the same reporters who normally would be sitting in the press briefing room asking Trump questions are now at Joe Biden's press conference. This has to be enraging Donald Trump. Now, Joe Biden was asked versions of that same question, including does what Donald Trump is doing hurt your transition plan? Does what Donald Trump is doing affect your ability to do ABC? And Joe Biden just very calmly saying we're moving ahead. Donald Trump's behavior is not affecting my transition. I'm the president elect. I'm moving forward. Thank you, Mr. President elect. During the campaign, you said you were not naive about how difficult it would be to unite the country. It's now three days after you were projected as the president elect. The president himself says he has won this election. His own administration has not moved forward to give you access to what you need to do to begin the work of your transition. Just a few minutes ago, the Secretary of State, when asked if he would cooperate with a smooth transition, he said there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. I wonder if you have a message for the president who may well be watching right now. And how do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Well, first of all, uh, we are already beginning the transition. We're well underway. And uh, the ability uh, for uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. And then Joe Biden interestingly pointed out that he thinks Republicans are standing by Trump because they're scared or intimidated by him. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss there as well. Mr. President-elect, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has suggested today that he may not recognize the outcome of this election until the Electoral College meets next month. Have you spoken to your longtime uh, friend in the Senate, Mr. McConnell, and what do you make of his specific comments over the last 24 hours? I haven't had a chance to speak to Mitch. Uh, my expectation is that I will do that not too distant future. Um, I think that uh, the whole Republican Party has been put in a position with a few notable exceptions of uh, um, being uh, mildly intimidated by the sitting president. 
Yeah. What, what's interesting about that and our friend Bill Share and others have been tweeting about this. It is very interesting that even as a loser, Republicans still seem to be under the thumb of Donald Trump. Now, this could be for a few different reasons. There could be Republicans who still think maybe Trump gets another four years and so I should sort of stay on his good side. It could be that it's merely concern over the Georgia Senate races. And once those are done, they will bail on Trump. Now, of course, at that point, it'll only be 15 days until Trump leaves office. I don't know. Uh, we streamed this event live and many of our viewers reacted to Biden's calm by saying Biden being calm is making me calm. When Trump is manic and going crazy, my blood pressure goes up. This is a lot of our viewers. Biden being so calm is making me calm, which is interesting. And then lastly, here's Joe Biden making the point that Trump not conceding makes Trump look bad and bringing up the, the, the idea of Trump's legacy. Sir, what do you say to the Americans that are anxious over the fact that President Trump has yet to concede and what that might mean for the country? Well, um, I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. Uh, the only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I, I think it will not help the president's legacy. I think that. Uh, I know from my discussions with foreign leaders thus far that they are hopeful that the United States democratic institutions are viewed once again as being strong and enduring. Given how Donald Trump has been behaving, it would actually be completely appropriate for Joe Biden to attack Donald Trump, and it would be to totally appropriate for Joe Biden to go after Donald Trump in a more serious way, and yet he didn't. We are not going to agree with Joe Biden on policy on nearly everything, but there is a change in the air since Joe Biden was declared president elect by networks. It's been palpable. And even many who did not vote for Biden in the primary, uh, but ultimately did vote for Joe Biden in in the uh, general election with some skepticism, have emailed me and said, you know, it's not about policy right now. I'm finding Joe's demeanor in the face of unhinged insanity from Trump and endless conspiracy theories from the right. I'm finding Joe Biden's demeanor to be the right fit for the time. Let's hope it continues. And we have so much more to talk about today about the conspiracy theories and the allegations and so much more, uh, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo asked about the fact that there's been no acknowledgement of Joe Biden's win. Mike Pompeo saying there will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. That's coming up a little bit later. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, where you can find me at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. One of the things I make a priority on the show is not to perpetuate stigma for things that don't deserve it. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about many things where we should all just be respectful adults, period, and we would be better off. And Blue Chew can increase performance and give you that extra confidence you may be looking for. Bluechew.com, blue like the color blue, is the first chewable with the same FDA approved ingredient as in Viagra and Cialis. It can be taken day or night, even on a full stomach, since it's chewable. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed doctors. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at a pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. 
They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. We've got a special deal for our viewers and listeners. Go to bluechew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Pacman. That's P A K M A N. Pay just five dollars shipping. That's B L U E chew.com. Promo code Pacman to try it totally free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the David Pacman show. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20% off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape. And Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, remember you can use the coupon code Fresh Start, all one word, all lowercase, for the membership of your choice at joinpakman.com. We are mostly funded by individual memberships at joinpakman.com. And in a little bit uh, later, li- a little bit later today, I am going to have a very important story for you about why it is that we are mostly funded by individual memberships. Uh, it is time for our first post election. Patriot mail. Quick reminder. What is Patriot mail? Take a listen to this. Take your mask and shove it. Now, let me tell you about my fake medical condition. Patriot mail written by Patriots who hate David Pakman because America and because freedom. Okay, this week's Patriot mail needs no introduction other than to say the Patriots are really, really mad about the election results. Take a listen to this. Well, whatever you are, if Biden does win, God help us and you for one thing, your cheap gas will go away. Next, if Biden has enough balls to stand for the next attach on my country, Next, I hope you like immigrants living in your backyard. Also because they will be, Mr. Fake News. I love my country, not like you bunch petty waste, wet behind ears, muir spreaders. And when war starts, I'm sure your name will be brought up to protect your country. Oh, I forgot you're in the wrong country. I hope you like rice. 
Well, I said my piece, which I am at peace. So have a nice life. Go ex-military. This is just um, this. This is crazy. And, you know, it's again, it's easy to just make fun of people for the bad spelling and the bad grammar and the incoherence and the conspiracy theories and the lack of understanding of politics and the lack of understanding of math and the lack of understanding of science and the lack of understanding of psychology and economics and finance. OK, you know, you get the picture. But I still maintain that even when somebody talks to me about being a muir spreader, which I think they mean manure spreader, we still saw nearly 72 million people vote for Donald Trump. And if we really want to make progressive change happen in this country, we either need to um, uh, disabuse some of these folks of their bad ideas or in some way engage with them. And I am focused on pragmatics. So, uh, you know, call, call, call that restrained when someone is going completely crazy attacking me. But um, I, I'm focused on the future and that's what we need to do. Now, one thing you can do to fight patriotism is use the coupon code Hatriot 40 when you get a membership at joinpacman.com. The coupon code Hatriot 40 saves you 40 percent. And when Hatriots catch wind that the coupon code has been used, they cry because they know they realize their Hatriot mail is going nowhere. Um, that's H-A-T-R-I-O-T-4-0 on your choice of membership at joinpacman.com. So um, Republicans have continued to make claims that the election was stolen from Joe Biden. Very often the claims contradict. They were too far to see whether the votes were valid in Pennsylvania, but they were close enough to see that there was fraud happening at the signature level in Pennsylvania. Well, hold on. If you were too far, how did you see that? Uh, doesn't matter. A anyway, the point is they're making all sorts of claims. The Washington Post is now reporting that a Pennsylvania postal worker whose claims have been cited by top Republican officials as a whistleblower exposing widespread irregularities has admitted to U.S. Postal Service investigators that he fabricated the allegations. This is according to three officials briefed on the investigation and a statement from a House congressional committee as reported by The Washington Post. This guy's name is Richard Hopkins. He claimed that a postmaster in Pennsylvania told postal workers start backdating ballots in order to get them to count, even though they shouldn't. But according to the House Oversight Committee, Hopkins, who is 32 years old, told investigators on Monday that he made it up and he reportedly signed an affidavit recanting his claims. The House Oversight Committee tweeting, quote, breaking news, Erie, Pennsylvania, USPS whistleblower completely recanted his allegations of a supervisor tampering with mail in ballots after being questioned by investigators, according to the inspector general. IG investigators informed committee staff that they interviewed Hopkins, that Hopkins recanted his allegations and did not explain why he signed a false affidavit. Case closed, right? Maybe not so fast, because then in a YouTube video, the same gentleman, I'm assuming he's a gentleman, Hos uh, Hopkins, uh, posted a video saying I did not recant. So he recanted a recanting or denied the recanting. Remember that um, a lot of this is tied into Project Veritas and James O'Keefe, who have been hailing Hopkins as an American hero. They created a Go GoFundMe page for Hopkins, which raised more than $100,000, although the fundraising page was subsequently removed by GoFundMe. 
And at this point, we don't really know. Did this guy recant? Did he recant and recant his recantation? Was the recantation falsely reported? We don't really know. But what it seems like is another Project Veritas scam falling apart under the lightest investigation, just like others have. Number one, I don't know how anyone still believes anything that Project Veritas points out, points out or claims or puts out. And number two, what is the truth of this story at this point? Again, the primary question remains. You have to zoom out. And the primary question is, do we have hard evidence of specific illegal or fraudulent votes at this time that would suggest any state went the wrong way? And the answer is no. There was a very interesting uh, Twitter thread put out by former FBI agent Asha Rangappa, also, I believe, a CNN contributor. And she pointed out that based on the counties and the ballots being contested in Pennsylvania, even if every single ballot in question was fraudulently for Biden instead of Trump, it is still not enough votes to overturn the spread in Pennsylvania right now. So we have to just remain calm, continue to ask the questions. Is there actually evidence of specific fraudulent or illegal votes? And has any court found the evidence compelling? And that's a big piece of what we're going to be talking about in the last segment today. The idea of courts not being given a chance to have a say. We'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I want to talk about Mike Pompeo next. The secretary of state is Mike Pompeo. And uh, Mike Pompeo yesterday said during a brief press availability that once every legal vote is counted, there will be a smooth transition into a second Trump administration. So he is continuing to appear to reject the fact that Democratic challenger Joe Biden is now the president elect of the United States and has defeated Donald Trump. This is now going very high. This is not Republican senators being quiet. This is the secretary of state, a top administration official refusing to accept the results. And of course, why wouldn't he? The top administration official, Donald Trump, continues to say he won Pennsylvania and Nevada and Wisconsin and Georgia and other states. Let's take a look at the video of Mike Pompeo. Is the State Department currently preparing to engage with the Biden transition team? And if not, at what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security? There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right, we're, we're ready. The, the world is watching what's taking place here. We're going to count all the votes. When the process is complete, there'll be electors selected. There's a process. The Constitution lays it out pretty clearly. The world should have every confidence that the transition necessary to make sure that the State Department is functional today, successful today, and successful with the president who's in office on January 20th, a minute afternoon, will also be successful. So this is actually starting to sound mildly seditious, which is about right for this administration. This is actually terrifying, not because it might actually prevent Joe Biden from becoming president, but because it shows the level of disconnect from reality that more than just Donald Trump have. Or alternatively, the other explanation for why Mike Pompeo is doing this would be Pompeo knows that Trump lost, 
but he's been bullied into repeating this nonsense, which is arguably just as bad. Now, consider that Mike Pompeo has a lot of official travel coming up in the next few weeks. Mike Pompeo is supposed to go to France, Turkey, Georgia, Israel, Qatar, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, the leaders of some of those countries that will be visited by Mike Pompeo in the coming weeks have already congratulated Joe Biden. Um, Israel is an example. France is an example. The others I'm less sure about. What does Pompeo say to them when he gets there? Uh, we're not leaving. Don't worry. We're getting another term. You're going to be working with a second Trump administration and not a Biden administration, even though you've already congratulated Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. How is that going to work? And from Mike Pompeo's answer yesterday, this is still shaping up to be a very long couple of months and also a very humiliating couple of months for the Trump administration. And we've talked for years now about the normalization of really crazy things under the Trump administration. Comments like these from Mike Pompeo, these are unprecedented by state officials in situations like this. It is not common that in the United States, after an election is done, after the votes are in, uh, showing that there is an irreversible victory by one candidate after that individual has started an office of the president elect, has started a transition for a secretary of state to still be denying that that is what has taken place. This is unprecedented and we should not allow it to be normalized. First, they refuse to assist in transition planning. Now they're suggesting there's no need for transition planning because Trump is going to get himself a second term. Now, I want to ask Trumpists a question. And I, I worry I know the answer. Where is the line? When will the disdain for democracy and the continued authoritarianism be too much even for Trumpists? I don't know that I need to ask because recent polling shows that most Republicans now believe Donald Trump, that the election was stolen by Joe Biden. It's actually that bad. And why would we think there is a line? They've spent the last four years defending everything Donald Trump has said and done, no matter how outrageous, no matter how dystopian or authoritarian, including suggesting, as Donald Trump did, that he could murder someone on Fifth Avenue um, without any political repercussions. Why would we believe there is any line Trump could cross? There isn't. And this is actually Donald Trump's best chance at staying in office. The only thing that if you force me to come up with that, I find the slightest bit interesting about this entire disaster is the idea that if Donald Trump really is going to try to just stay his removal from the Oval Office on January 20th is going to be absolutely riveting and uh, rewarding to see. But it will greatly damage and embarrass the country if it were come to that, if it were to come to that. So as entertaining as it would be, as much as I would relish seeing Donald Trump being removed, uh, I actually hope it doesn't happen because it would be really bad for the country. The American people have spoken. It's time to go, guys. I get it. It's a thin margin, couple hundred thousand votes in four states, uh, 70,000 votes in two states. But Trump only won in 2016 because of 77,000 votes in three states. It was close then as well. If it were popular vote, Hillary would have easily won in 2016. By popular vote, Joe Biden won even more easily in 2020. But it's time to go. You're embarrassing yourselves. This was a fair and rightful process where people chose their leaders. 
They are not just trampling on the process. They're ridiculing the process and in doing so ridiculing the United States of America, which deserves some ridicule because the country did elect Donald Trump in 2016. They claim to be for law and order. They claim to be for the Constitution. They're certainly not acting like it. And we're going to have continued coverage of this on our Instagram page. Find us at David Pakman Show on Instagram. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes and you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. One of our sponsors is Privacy.com. They're giving you $5 when you sign up for their completely free service at Privacy.com slash Pacman. I've been using Privacy for a little over a year now. You've heard me talk about it before. It's a lifesaver and here's how it works. Takes just a couple of minutes to set up. Anytime you buy something online or on the phone, instead of actually using your real credit card number, the privacy app and the browser plugin let you give each company a randomized virtual credit card number that you create out of thin air. It'll even autofill the card number with one click and the payment is taken out of your checking account without the merchant ever knowing your real information. So this allows you to keep your banking information secure, but also to take control of your finances. You can create up to 12 of these virtual credit cards a month. You can set spending limits. You can freeze them. You can delete them anytime you want. So when you do this, it means you're not going to be charged when you don't want to be because you can destroy the virtual card number right after using it, which, for instance, I love using free trials because I know I won't be charged when the trial is over. If I use a virtual credit card number, you're keeping your identity private by not telling companies who you are. You're keeping your bank or credit card info protected against data breaches and identity theft, and it's free. There's no catch whatsoever. But if you want, privacy also offers a $10 a month plan that gives you 1% cash back and lets you create 36 credit cards a month and a $25 a month plan tailored more for small businesses where you can create 60 card numbers a month and much more. But definitely go ahead and at least get started with the free plan. You'll protect your financial info. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. And like I said, you'll get $5 to spend when you sign up at privacy.com slash Pacman.
Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. All right, today we have something much requested by the audience. We are going to be speaking with Vosh, not Vosh, not Vosh, but Vosh, a popular streamer, debater, progressive socialist with nearly 300,000 subscribers. Now, I think it's important. My audience understands that I don't call people socialists when they're not socialists. You're an actual bona fide socialist. Yeah, I'd like to think I am at least. Cool. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. And now what I'm always curious, anytime I deal with anybody who uses a pseudonym, how did you decide to operate under a pseudonym? I was a big old art kid back in high school. You know, every art kid wants to draw comics, or at least a lot of them do. Okay. Bosch was the name of a character that I wanted to draw. Anyway, when I started doing the content, I just decided to use it as a placeholder name and it stuck. So it's catchy enough. And I'm guessing for privacy reasons, it's not the, the worst thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. But uh, I mean, people go either way. But I think Vosh, it's nice and catchy anyway. So I don't mind. So let's let's talk a little bit. I mean, maybe to get into our conversation, we are coming off the heels of an election in which uh, Donald Trump lost. Joe Biden won. Senate control is unclear at this point. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and and we're, we're sort of trying to figure out what what is the next step for someone with your perspective as a socialist, where both Joe Biden and Donald Trump are very different from you. Uh, in terms in terms of their politics, do you see replacing Trump with Biden as a good thing? How good of a thing? Oh, undeniably. Uh, this is something that I learned when I looked into the writings of people like Engels and Lenin and Mao. Yes. Um, you see, socialists are, at least as I understand it, most comfortable making our arguments in a democratic or a bourgeois democratic system. That is to say, in a system where we have sort of this veneer of corporate democracy, where people expect things like rights and representation, you can make arguments like, hey, couldn't we be doing this better? In outright fascist societies or societies which have become so nationalistic that national interest takes precedence over class interest, it's really difficult to get those arguments across. That's why we typically lose whenever fascists take power. We're the first ones out. We're the biggest threat. So preserving the system for a little bit longer under Joe Biden, vastly, vastly preferable um, to the threat of our democratic institutions crumbling. Also, just frankly, Biden's just better, like objectively, in a number of issues. Climate change, healthcare, can't argue with that. So very clearly, you're you're um, make you're making it obvious that you are not an accelerationist. Accelerationism being the idea that there would be a shortcut to your eventual ideal uh, arrangement of of affairs by having society crumble, by having those institutions crumble, that that would in some way accelerate or more quickly get us to that end point. You, you very clearly don't subscribe to that. The conditions need to be right for that. If things collapsed right now, we would not be the ones to take power. We do not have that kind of uh, infrastructure established. They would be the ones to take power in a system where it felt like chaos or collapse would be something which would inspire some kind of, you know, um, natural, organic, democratic control. I could get behind that. But that is not the world we live in right now. What would happen in your mind if, if things crumbled uh, instead of a socialist utopia? What would we mo most likely see? Oh, man. I mean, if things I mean, depending on how things crumbled right now, the general prevailing attitude in this country is fear and nationalism. We would probably set up some sort of if not one singular, at least a collection of ethno nationalist communities. Um, the, the direction this country is taking right now the world is controlled, at least in chaos, by the most militarily prepared. And right now, I think a large number of Trump supporters are ready. They believe they're on the precipice of having to 
take hold of a dead world. Whereas a lot of progressive and left-leaning people, you know, God bless them, whatever, um, I don't think are ready for that. And for that reason, if, you know, push comes to shove, I'm just not confident in our chances. I think that we're going to go dramatically far right. I think we're probably going to turn into an isolationist ethno-nationalist state. And from that point forward, we'll be completely unable to affect the rest of the world as its course changes. And I don't I don't want that. Yeah. OK, so so far, I completely agree with you. I think that if, if we do see a crumbling that some imagine might lead to the ushering in of the idealized socialist circumstances, I think we get exactly what you're talking about now. Uh, under what circumstances do you believe that your socialist organization of the country would be most likely to be achieved? What what would happen be between now and then leading up to it? We need to do a lot of cultural work and we need to get people to fixate on issues that actually affect their lives. What gets a Trump supporter out of bed? What gets them angry at the world? Is it the state of their schools, their infrastructure, their education, uh, uh, their, their, their health care? Very rarely, no. Usually it's meaningless cultural issues. You have trans people, you have the belief that BLM is going to burn down their suburb. These are nonsense, scaremonger, fear issues. These aren't reflective of reality. And for that reason, this is why we are concern ourselves with the spread of something called class consciousness. We want people to be concerned first and foremost with the conditions that actually affect their lives. And if we can do that, and I believe we can do that, and people like Bernie Sanders have shown, you can do that to lots of people if you focus on the right arguments. Um, I think that we'll be in a position where the predominant ideological trend of this country will be one towards radical workplace democracy, as opposed to radical isolationism, radical ethnic exclusionary behavior, that sort of thing. Am I being too simplistic if I say that for the time being, socialists and social democrats should be united because the next steps are identical for both groups, or at least they should be? No, I think that's totally true. I mean, we'll backstab each other later, I'm sure. Right. Historically, yeah, of course, of course. But for right now, yeah, we need to focus on uh, uh, social democrats. You consider yourself one, of course. I do. I know I do. you are. Yeah, because yeah, I've seen your content. Um, social democrats and socialists have a lot in common in that we both respect the belief that the economic resources of our country should be turned towards the well-being of the people. We should focus on improving these base institutional needs that we believe humans are entitled to. And that's great. And I think that when people are exposed to that, they're way less likely to associate their well-being with these meaningless cultural platitudes that Trump supporters or other culture warriors like to obsess over. For now, I think our interests are aligned down the line. You know, we'll have our arguments, I'm sure. So now let's think ahead a little bit. If we just so, to, to really kind of continue exploring your your worldview, imagine that the social Democrats get the things they want. We have democratization of the workplace. We are sort of raising the floor and, and putting some ceiling in and make sure making sure nobody falls too far and doing some of the things Finland and other northern European places have done. Social Democrats get their way. OK, mm -hmm. once you get to that point, what mechanism do you imagine would usher in socialism? How do we get to where every business, for example, socializes ownership of the means of production? By what mechanism is that installed or enacted? Well, you mentioned workplace democracy, which I like. I think that's a very good Trojan horse for socialist ideals because it literally is the seizure of the means of production in a society in which 
every workplace is democratic. That is to say, there's some there's some kind of democratic framework that allows you to vote in or vote out individuals, managers, that sort of thing. Sure. And the means of those firms, the wealth, the resources are collectively owned amongst those who work there. If you have every firm in a country that adheres to those principles, you have what would have been called 150 years ago, a dictatorship of the proletariat, not very well named, but essentially because dictatorship didn't have the connotation back then that it does now a worker's state. And well, that, that let, let me let's pause for a second, though. Sure. Maybe we might have a different idea of what. I, in fact, it's very clear we have a different idea about what democratization of the workplace would mean. So when I think about democratization of the workplace, I'm talking about for companies above a certain size, you must have um, a board representation from employees uh, when you, you it, so there's a list of things. But I think it's probably it, it certainly doesn't sound like it would go as far as what you're talking about, which sounds like it would almost be a socialization of the means of production. That would be the goal for me, at least. I think that a de democratically minded people are very susceptible to arguments in favor of the democratization of the workplace in the way that I describe it. Yes. I think that once you look at um, a firm and you look at its traditional organization, which is pretty dictatorial in its natural state, you know, here in the States, you don't control who your manager is or who your boss is. You work there and you do what you're told or you're fired. Um, I think that people are very amicable to the idea that there can be an improvement on that system. There's very, very positive data coming out of countries um, well, all around the world in different material conditions suggesting that worker cooperatives are a pretty effective way of organizing firms and it leaves people happier. And in some cases, it's even more efficient. So the question is, how can we sell people on the idea that that system, which necessitates the destruction of the bourgeois, the class, you no longer have an owner after all, it's collective. How do we incentivize that? How do we encourage people to move in that direction? But is your view so there's a dramatic difference between everybody is convinced and sold on the idea that that's how businesses should be owned versus it is imposed as this is how it must be done or otherwise it is not a legal business. It sounds like you're leaning, at least for now, more in the direction of saying you feel like you have the facts on your side and you could convince people to do it that way. Are you not suggesting that at a certain point the only legal way to organize a business would be socialized ownership? I don't think you can compel democracy. I don't think it works very well. I think that when socialism arrives in the States, should it arrive, nobody will call it socialism. They will view it as a natural extension of a series of economic and worker related rights that they've been building upon for a good time before that. With regards to whether or not this should be pushed for in like an autocratic way, though an autocratic sort of delivery of democracy is a little little silly, but it's happened before. Yes. Um, when we freed the slaves, of course, the slave owners didn't like that, but we did it anyway. And I think we can agree that was a good thing. The people who will be pushing back on this aren't going to be the democratic populace. It's probably going to be the owners of these businesses. And that's the ultimate conflict. You know, how well, how significantly can the interests of the majority be assigned precedence over the interests of a very small, very elite group of landed modern aristocrats? We're going to continue our conversation with Vosh and the full interview will be posted on the YouTube channel. But on the podcast, TV and radio show, we, we are going to go to a break. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. When you see me sitting here at the microphone, oftentimes I'm wearing a shirt by a company called Teddy Stratford. And I love these shirts so much that I asked Teddy Stratford to be a sponsor of the show. And here's why I like their shirts so much with other slim fit button up shirts. 
You often get this weird looking gap between the buttons where it looks kind of stretched out. But Teddy Stratford actually has a patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which secures the shirt against your chest so it doesn't look stretched. And most importantly, it just provides a nicer looking fit overall. And the entire shirt is specially designed to really improve the way your upper body looks when you're wearing it. It also has a special type of collar that prevents it from drooping down and spreading open, which is another really great thing about these shirts. All of these things really do a lot to make a big difference when you're looking at a shirt. And that's why I like to wear Teddy Stratford shirts on the show. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15% off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. The David Pacman Show at davidpackman.com. Okay, this is something really special for everybody today. Over the last 24 hours, Fox News has become a nexus, an epicenter, almost like a central clearinghouse of election disinformation. And what makes it all the funnier is that on one hand, Donald Trump is furious with Fox News because their so-called news side admits and accepts that Joe Biden won the election. Uh, Donald Trump is mad at Fox News for calling Arizona for Joe Biden. So as I told you yesterday, Trump, instead of tweeting Fox News content, has been tweeting a lot of Newsmax content, which is sort of like a low rent Fox News. On the other hand, if you tune into the nighttime uh, Fox News programs, the so-called opinion shows, although, you know, the difference between Fox News and opinion at this point is, is pretty blurry. The nighttime shows on Fox continue to pretend, as a matter of fact, that this election was stolen by Joe Biden. They are bringing on every last grifter that they can find. And we're going to look at some examples. And I what I the the framing I want you to keep in mind as you watch this is when people in other countries see this, they think we're out of our minds. OK, this is crazy that this is going on on one of the three major cable networks in the United States. And I am aware that watching this stuff is not great for your brain. And um, to, to, to make a really serious point, I'm going to play short clips because this stuff is crazy and it's really bad for you. But remember, many Americans get their news exclusively from Fox News. They see this and they see no alternative to it was stolen. And they think it's serious. So let's start with Donald Trump's press secretary, Kaylee McKenney, almost a meme at this point, holding up pieces of paper. We don't know what the hell they are as proof of fraud. Sean, uh, we keep hearing the drumbeat of where is the evidence right here, Sean, 234 pages of sworn affidavits. These are a defiant and principled Kaylee McKenney holds up a ream. <laughs> A ream of paper. Here is Republican Congressman Matt Gates, recently recovered from coronavirus. He's the guy who laughed off coronavirus by wearing a gas mask on the House floor back in might have been March or something like that. He says he has sources, guys, and the sources are telling him really, really bad things. Well, in Washington, it is even worse than your reporting. My sources are telling me that part of the Biden transition plan would be making permanent these coronavirus changes to the voting process. Now, I have to tell you, I actually hope Matt Gates is is correct. Matt Gates is saying, oh, no, 
Joe Biden might try to make it easier to vote by mail forever, not just when there is a pandemic. I hope Biden does do that. What this uh, election has proven is when you expand vote by mail, it doesn't cause fraud. It leads to voting. That's what happens when you expand vote by mail. We should have expanded vote by mail forever as well as expanded early voting. I hope Matt Gates is right in what he's saying. Here's Sean Hannity wrapping up about four to five different conspiracy theories into a pretzel and claiming they all prove that, of course, this election was stolen from Joe Biden of lies and conspiracy theories, the Russia hoax, Hillary's dirty dossier, FISA abuse, lying to a FISA court, spying on a presidential candidate and a president, fake polls, fake news, fake everything. And then here is Secretary of State Mike Pompeo showing up to talk about this election as if it's not over and as if Donald Trump might still win. Proud of the, the work that the entire team that the president's had for my four years has accomplished. I'm hopeful we'll have more time to continue to work to keep Americans safe. Hopefully, we'll have more time to keep Americans safe. Trump lost, dude. What are you talking about? And of course, Mike Pompeo also made a statement to press yesterday that there will be a smooth transition into a second Trump administration. We covered that early. We don't know if Mike uh, if Mike Pompeo really believes this stuff or if he feels obligated to say this stuff, we don't know. It's bad either way. And then here's RNC chairwoman Ronna McDaniel claiming that the media have stolen the truth by not reporting on their completely baseless voter fraud claims. And the media right now, by refusing to report on this, is stealing our faith in the election process. Tell the story. Talk about the people who are being disenfranchised. People across this country deserve to have election integrity, faith in our election system, and believe that there is election integrity. And that's why the RNC is going to pursue this to the very end. We can never let this happen again. And lastly, Ted Cruz was on, and he actually, Ted Cruz hilariously sort of stumbled onto the truth about this situation. Take a listen. One of the frustrating things as a citizen, you see all these tweets going back and forth. You see allegations of this happened, that happens. It, it's hard to know. It's hard for anyone to know. All right, is this true? What's true? I, the only way to know is, is we have a legal process. We have state courts. We have federal courts that can hear legal claims. And, and right now, it is incumbent on the Trump campaign's lawyers to go in and prove their case in court, to lay out evidence, to lay out evidence of illegally cast votes, to lay out evidence of what was done right, what was done wrong. And when the process is over, we're going to know the result. But we need to let the process play out. And, and much of the mainstream media doesn't want to let us do that. So Ted Cruz is actually hear me out. OK, Ted Cruz is actually right. There is a process for adjudicating these claims. And step one of the process is you have to present evidence to courts where Ted Cruz is wrong is that the media doesn't want that to happen. The reality is courts keep looking at the claims of fraud and they're finding them completely without merit. So the process doesn't continue. The media is not stopping the process. The media is asking questions like, do you have specific evidence of illegal or fraudulent votes? And when that question was put to, for example, Kaylee McEnany two days ago, RNC chairwoman Ronna McDaniel two days ago. They said a lot, but they didn't say, yes, we have actual evidence of specific illegal or fraudulent votes. And that's why this isn't moving forward in courts. It's not because the media is interfering, but the complaints being brought to court 
are being found to lack merit. And so they aren't going forward. But again, this is how Fox News creates an alternate reality. You tell your audience everybody else is lying to you. Everybody else is biased to the left to encourage people to discount or even ideally not watch anything other than Fox News. You fill the Fox News evening echo chamber with Laura Ingram had a, a so-called witness last night who refused to be identified. It was like a blacked out shadow beyond parody after they spent four years saying any anonymous source isn't OK. They're putting up witnesses that are blacked out in shadow. They're making claims that the media don't allow this to move forward. And if you only get your news from Fox News, you end up believing this stuff. It's a, I've used the term mind virus several times lately. Trumpism is a mind virus. The Fox News narrative, if it infects you, is also a mind virus. And uh, we we can't just write them off because they vote. I get it. The instinct is you laugh it off and you move on. But we can't because they do vote. Hey, uh, this is absolutely nuts. I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I do want to mention it. You know how the right wing loves to claim all of the suppression of content happening on social media and social networks. It's right wing content that is suppressed. It's left wing content that is propped up. Every social network is trying to perpetuate left wing ideas and suppress right wing ideas. Well, you all know that we've had pretty significant monetization problems with our content on YouTube in the past. This story is not about YouTube. This story is about Facebook. We have been 100 percent demonetized on Facebook. Now, I want to be really clear, clear here. When I say 100 percent, I don't mean revenue is down 80 percent on Facebook. OK, I don't mean revenue is down 90 percent on Facebook. I don't mean revenue is down 98 percent on Facebook. Revenue is down 100 percent on Facebook. Facebook earned zero dollars and zero cents today. Zero dollars and zero cents yesterday and the day before. Why did this happen? It happened because we covered the story of Steve Bannon suggesting Dr. Anthony Fauci should be beheaded. Now, we didn't display any gore. We didn't advocate for violence. In fact, we called out that this is a stochastic terrorism event by uh, Stephen Bannon. We covered the story as it should be done, and it got not that video demonetized. Our entire Facebook platform is demonetized. Now, as I've said over the years, the reason we talk about membership support is this can happen at any time. Two and a half years ago, three years ago, when YouTube adpocalypse happened, we had no warning. Just one day, boom, 98 percent of our revenue was gone. I texted Kyle Kalinsky. It was, I think it was a Sunday. Kyle, uh, is anything weird going on with your YouTube revenue? Kyle says, yeah, uh, my revenue's gone. Yeah, same here. Boom, disaster. And it took a year for that to recover. And over the years, as I've told you, my goal has been we diversify revenue sources and that sort of insulates us from when these things happen. And case in point, because of YouTube adpocalypse, we diversified and have put a lot of time and energy into Facebook, which has grown into a significant revenue source for us. It's gone. Now, hopefully it's temporary. I don't know. We're going to try to appeal this. We're going to try to fight it. It's almost impossible. We have no contact at Facebook. Facebook has some contact form where you request an appeal. It's all automated. We've never had an actual human from Facebook talk to us. So this is why I say whatever shows you value, it doesn't have to be this show. Understand that 
the revenue on any of these platforms can disappear overnight. It's disappeared overnight. Support the shows you value directly. Um, if you value this show, I won't spend a lot of time on this. Grab a membership at joinpacman.com. We have this coupon code fresh start, all one word, all lowercase fresh start. We're taking a fresh start with Joe Biden. I think it's self-explanatory. It will discount any membership at joinpacman.com by 70 percent. I will let you know what happens with Facebook. I will let you know if nothing changes. But for the time being, we are 100 percent demonetized on Facebook. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. I got a voicemail from our old friend Troy York. As many of you know, Troy York calls in with different characters. He has a Hispanic character named, as he pronounces it, Ramon Ramos. He has a black character named Jamal Jenkins. I mean, all of this is just horrible. And sometimes he doesn't say his name. But Troy York called in and admonished me. Why am I not calling out the pro Biden events and rallies and parades? as being a problem from the standpoint of coronavirus. Here is what Troy York had to say. Hi, David. Hey, I was just wondering if you're going to say anything Monday about the super spreader events that are occurring today with with these uh, right. rallies and celebrations. It, I am so disgusted by how many, how large this crowd is. It's utterly disgusting. These young people, they're out without masks. I've seen very few masks and they are spreading coronavirus. And I just wonder if you're going to be nonpartisan and nonbiased and call them out. I mean, these crowds are utterly ridiculous. And essentially what is actually amusing by looking at these people in Brooklyn, they are essentially celebrating uh, Joe Biden, who's not a leftist, and Kamala Harris, who is a policewoman. Uh, as Jimmy Dore would say, and essentially you're going to have more war with Joe Biden. He's OK. You're, you're not. But let's focus on the coronavirus stuff. I didn't even wait till Monday during my stream on Saturday. I called out and said we have to be very careful about these events because these are events that as we see a third spike happening. Remember, Europe's on spike, too. We're on spike three. Donald Trump got us an extra spike by failing to deal with the virus. I express concern. Now, most of the rallies I saw, everybody was wearing a mask. So I don't know what video Troy York is referring to. And in fact, uh, Fox News called out CNN for not mentioning the fact that these rallies uh, present a, a coronavirus risk. And CNN had called it out. Jake Tapper had called it out. And, and so had others. So please, here's what I'm asking you. Criticize me for things I've actually said or or things I've actually not said if the criticism is for the absence of a commentary, because when you criticize me for something I did actually talk about, it falls very flaccid. It falls very, very flat. We have a great bonus show for you today. We will talk about the apparent truce between AOC and centrist Democrats uh, evaporating. We will talk about Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida wanting to expand stand your ground laws, and we will talk about the Utah governor issuing a statewide mask mandate amidst the virus surge. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Grab a membership at joinpacman.com to instantly access the bonus show.